up until six months ago, markets still weren't great. Product was doing maybe 10 to 20 million uh, in volume a day, still very early for us, but we still had a lot of conviction that we were building the right thing. Um, we think that trading is crypto's largest use case today, and that's what we wanted to focus on from the start and really optimize for user experience, which is what led into SWE, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And, and now we're, you know, you know, we had a lot of conviction in the product, and since things picked up, especially in November, December, trading on average over $100 million a day, traded 500 mil yesterday, and about 4 billion in the last 30 days. Gentlemen, today, uh, super excited to have you both on. Thank you so much for joining me. You're actually my first podcast uh, within a SWE application or the SWE ecosystem. So super excited to have each of you on. Um, and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, thanks for having us on, Logan. Awesome. Well, maybe just you guys are each the co-founders of Bluefin. I would love for you guys each to do just a quick introduction, this being your first podcast. Uh, one, just about yourself, a little bit about your journey. And then secondly, uh, sharing more about Bluefin and a little bit of the inf inspiration behind uh, building a product. Nice. I'll, I'll get started. So I'll do a quick, my journey into Web3 and Bluefin. Really, it's, you know, it's, I think out of college, I was working as a software engineer in SF um, and it's a pretty, it's a good life. I'd say it's very comfortable. Uh, that's how I describe it. And I was just looking for, to do more, I think more engineering challenges, more technical problems. And that's where Web3 really started captivating me, kind of loosely following along for a while before eventually thing in late 2020, early 2021, that's around the time period when Bluefin started, Reveal reached out to me and just working on week weekend projects. And at some point, in a way, I think the world just kind of conspires to make things happen. And that weekend project turned into pre-seed funding. And I was like, oh shit, this is it. Um, and that was a pretty hard choice because when I chose that kind of to make that leap, I had to give up my visa and stuff because I was working in the US under an um, H&B, but it was, I got a lot of advice. It was like risk to reward ratio is higher in life than ever before. Uh, you know, if you're going to take a bet on something, like do it now. Like, and honestly, don't regret it. It's been an incredible amount of learning. If I was growing linearly, it's not like exponential. It was a lot of mistakes, but like, it's how you learn at the end of the day. And you guys are actually brothers, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, that is true. We we go way back. So it was it's funny. We actually, I think, know each other better now than we ever did before we started building a company. How has that process been just working together uh, as brothers uh, building a company together? Because to your point, I, I do think uh, you guys know each other's how you guys uh, your strengths, your weaknesses, and it possibly works better as like a co-founding pair than people that are just coming together for the first time. Yeah, I think yeah. one piece that works really well is Age is an engineer. Um, my background is in physics, but now I lead a lot of the business efforts. And I think we just um, trust each other to own their areas really well together. And I think that synergy is, is just beautiful. Yeah. yeah, I would I love agree. for you to give a quick background on yourself. Uh, physics, I very much have appreciated. I kind of went down the nerd route as well with CS. But if I were to go back, I may do physics just because... I don't know. It, it gives you a good understanding of the world. 
Yeah, I agree with that. But I think if I did things over, I'd do CS. I think physics is so theoretical, but CS is so practical. You can use what you built. Um, but yeah, just to zoom back, my background's in physics. I studied at Penn. Um, I was part of this energy research program where we're trying to solve the world's energy crisis. Um, I was doing three degrees at that time, um, two undergrads and a master's, and really just trying to come up with ways to you know, address the energy problem. And after college, spent a little time working on that too. Um, but I always wanted to build something of my own, and I felt the impact missing in the near term on that front. And at that time, you know, found someone that I was studying physics with, reached out to AJ, AJ brought on someone he was studying at Berkeley with. And that's really kind of how the initial team was formed, um, largely within network. We, I think after that, there was a lot of mistakes, many non-linear years. Um, even last year, we had two rounds of layoffs, but I think things picked up after we raised our Series A Um that was with a couple of leading firms like SIG, Brevin Howard, Tower. And even then, I think up until six months ago, markets still weren't great. Product was doing maybe 10 to 20 million uh, in volume a day. Still very early for us, but we still had a lot of conviction that we were building the right thing. Um, we think that trading is crypto's largest use case today. And that's what we wanted to focus on from the start and really optimize for user experience which is what led into SWE, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And, and now we're, you know, you know, we had a lot of conviction in the product, and since things picked up, especially in November, December, trading on average over $100 million a day, traded 500 mil yesterday, and about $4 billion in the last 30 days. That's amazing. And uh, no, I, I appreciate each of your journeys. I always find it fascinating how people arrive at the certain destination that they do. And I mean, to most people, it just once you hit some level of success, whether it's kind of like an arbitrary amount, whether it's like getting backed by a VC or raising a certain money, like people are like, oh, I always knew that they were going to do well and uh, going to kill it. But no one really sees the trials and tribulations and the risks that everybody took to get to this point. So kudos to each of you. I know, particularly building within the high throughput ecosystems, I mean, even today, I would say it's still not popular. Uh, and I think I'm extremely excited about all the builders that are building in the high throughput ecosystems because of the applications that they actually enable and the ability to actually scale. So I would love for either or of you to speak to maybe before SWE, before getting into um, kind of some more technical nuance, just sharing what Bluefin is uh, in your words, uh, why kind of build this trading product uh, and what problem are you looking to solve? Yeah, for sure. I think the problem we're trying to solve is the on-chain user experience for trading. Um, we think that's something that's been missing since we started and we think it's a bit better today, but it's still lacking. And we do think, you know, being in Web3 trading will move on-chain. It's just a function of time. And that's when we were choosing a platform is like which blockchain can enable us to build a user experience that can compete with that of Binance. And that's not only just high throughput, it's also account abstraction and, and the user experience holistically. So it's really, that's what we're trying to solve for. And, and there's two pieces of user experience. There's the retail user experience that's super important. It's the front end, the onboarding, the bridging, the on-ramping, the time to you know settle trades. But I think equally as important, it's the institutional user experience 
because you need to have that liquidity. You need to have those tight spreads and, and the depth and the number of markets. Um, so you, we're trying to optimize for both at the same time. And sometimes that can be a bit difficult, but it really needs to come at no trade-offs. And that's really why we chose to build on Suite today and, and kind of what's led to some of the success we're seeing right now and an early stage, you know, in terms of where we're going from now. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's very important to segment kind of your user base by retail versus institutional clients. And I, I think one thing that I've seen just as crypto as more kind of native Silicon Valley engineers come in, they come with this great product mindset of like, all right, this product is built for this specific segment instead of just like, this is going to be for everybody, which honestly I think is very, very refreshing uh, because if you really build for everybody, at the end of the day, you're building for no one. So refreshing to hear. One thing that you ultimately mentioned there was um, you think on trading is inevitable. I tend to agree, but there's a lot of skeptics out there saying uh, central limit order books are always going to be slower, uh, have higher latency, and not as effective for price discovery being on-chain just because they're purely decentralized and their more centralized counterparts. Uh, what would you kind of say to the critics uh, that are not optimistic as you are on, on trading um, experiences? Yeah, for sure. I think we can get into the order book part. Um, AJ can get into it. But I think there's one huge advantage of being on chain, even if your order book is off chain, which is that it's non-custodial. So something like, you know, what happened with FTX and others in the past won't happen when you're on chain because your assets are collateralized on the chain and, you know, a user self custodies their assets. Let's say that's one huge advantage already on top of centralized counterparts. And then I'll let AJ go a little bit into our order book design and our thoughts there. Yeah, I think, I mean, on, on what you said, I think there's, it's a spectrum. I don't, I think our position has been not to take a maximalist approach here and say, you know, like, on general book from day one, practically all the reasons you listed prevent that from happening today. You like, as soon as you talk to your users, like in our case, like for the order book, it's the market maker. They will not quote within the bips you want them to. They're going to go really wide. They struggle with cancellations, all these things on, on most of the on-chain clubs, uh, limit order books they've tried. And so our practical approach to this for now has been, okay, let's guarantee non-custodialness. Let's design the order book in our case, the matching algorithm is off-chain, but We've built it in a way where you can still, if you remove it, still place your orders and execute them on chain. So we've taken this kind of approach while in the back, you know, like 20% of our capacity is always thinking about this problem. How do we bring this on chain? And it's still very much an R&D, but I think eventually the space will get there, right? It's, it's constantly innovating from what existed four years ago versus today. There's a lot more through the spare market. So many teams built, I think SWE is one great example. There's many, many, many others. And I think that's just going to continue to happen in the Web3 space. And eventually those are the kind of innovations that will allow us to bring that kind of experience on-chain as well. 100%. I'm, I'm very much aligned with that vision. I, I think, I mean, personally, I kind of describe the early iterations of blockchain uh, networks as dial-up. And then you kind of progress to broadband and then fiber optics. And when you unlock more throughput, you can minimize that latency. When you can reduce finality, there's just a whole new sandbox uh, that engineers ultimately get unlocked because you can do more interesting things. And I think, uh, to your point, AJ, it is relatively niche. And 
really all these high throughput ecosystems. But I think why I'm personally excited is because there's a very clear path towards scalability and doing more and more things on chain over time. Um, I think we do have some progress or a road to walk to get there, but uh, at least to me, it seems viable. And maybe like the end state where you think Bluefin is going to be, if you could like paint a brushstroke, what would you like that kind of product experience to look like? Just have it, everything on chain, have uh, most of TradFi trading on Bluefin, paint that end state picture for us. Yeah, I think it looks very much like, you know, the user experience in Binance today, but it's quicker to onboard and you can use Google Auth. In fact, you'll be able to use Google Auth to use the full platform um, in about a week or two on Bluefin. So you don't even need to download wallets. And really what that picture looks like is that of a Robinhood, of a Binance. And it's super easy for users to use. Users don't even need to know which blockchain it's on. And they don't need to, you know, take risk with their assets, you know, with a third-party custodian. Yeah, I the third-party aspect, it... It is very important, especially just in terms of everything that happened post FTX. I am very curious to see whether we like come up with a hybrid system or if everything will truly be on chain in a verifiable way, Uh, because it makes me so sad just how how far that set back the industry. Um, I mean, I'm sure it set back you guys kind of being in that high throughput blockchain space uh, I mean, I think it disproportionately hurt uh, kind of the non-EVM ecosystems more, um, but it was a challenge. Can you maybe talk just as a personal level and on a building level, you guys, this is not like something you guys did overnight to get to hundreds of millions of volume. You've been at this for some time. Can you talk about like your guys' inception together uh, and really that journey that got you to here today on the product level at the company level at the bluefin level yeah there's a lot to dissect there because you i think you were very correct and there's the product and there's the company and the team building and the morale especially through that bear market it was i think there was many things that were in play here i'll take an early stab and perhaps you can add on uh so we started this as i was mentioning earlier in late 2020 early 2021 this is middle of the bull run at that time there was this incredible kind of interest in the market but accordingly this incredible pressure to get to market as fast as possible and you combine that with being new to web3 as all of us pretty much and then in my case also being pretty new to the fintech world it can lead to or it did lead to many let's say rash decisions i think we put out a product it wasn't the best product um and Really what just followed that was this massive bear market where there's been a few years of just, you know, very quiet. And in hindsight, I think this was the game changer for us. We were one of those teams that just kept our heads down, you know, preserved runway and kept building. And here there was, you know, we went live. There was the product still kind of had to get battle tested as different market makers came on, you know, understanding what, that kind of customer is the hedge fund user that wants like incredibly low ANCs, not a single order can, you know, like just flip out. They want, if you go down for like an hour, let's say you went 
that you had a release for like a minute overnight, like if they were not informed, it's upsetting to them. And you really have to go through all these firefights um, before you, in our case, at least we, before we built something that was a lot more resilient, a lot more higher quality and coming into I think the tail end of this year that put us into like the position that we were, where the product was a lot more resilient. It was tolerant. It was of being able to scale, et cetera. I'll let Rabs also talk a bit about the company journey through this period because that was also definitely one of the bigger challenges. Yeah, no, I think in general as a company, we focus on a few things that are really important to us. One is just working with good people. I think if you just enjoy the people at a personal level who you work with, times are going to be tough. Shit's going to happen, but you're just going to get through it and you're going to laugh after, you know, work one day or it's just much more fun to, to work together. And then I think me and AJ are maybe... I don't know how, but we're wired in a way where we just never give up. I think it's something her dad used to say too. It's, you know, you only lose if you give up. That's literally the only possible way to lose. And we just don't give up. And, and that's why we won't lose. Um, and that's been our mentality. So you know, there's going to be tough days. It's going to be a lot of firefights. It's going to be many long, non-linear years. But we're going to wake up each morning, be super excited, and come to work with that energy. And I think building through the bear market with that mindset really helped us. Um, and then when things picked up in November, right, we were well positioned to start taking advantage of that. Yeah, it, it, you kind of gave me a little bit of goosebumps because it just reminded me of all the painful process that I had to do to set up frictionless capital uh, going through the bear market. It, it's your point. You're kind of in cockroach mode, uh, like 99% of the time. And then there's these very nonlinear days where you're just like, wow. A lot of it's coming together, and I think it's kind of the Mark Andreessen saying that there's uh, two main kind of um, feelings for an entrepreneur. It's euphoria and terror, uh, and lack of sleep enhances those both. And so and I'm sure both volatility of you can is like, it takes a toll on you. And like, that's like the, probably the biggest thing I learned is like, you got to just like learn how to balance and live somewhere in that middle. It is hard. Um, I, I, I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Uh, it, there, there's a lot of high highs and low lows. But maybe, so, and thank you for all the background context. I, I think you guys are really, why I'm excited to talk to you is, is not only that you guys grinded out through the bear market, you're really, I would say, one of the first like large ecosystem projects built in SWE. Um, a lot of VCs, a lot of naysayers, so to speak, are in my mind already discounting SWE, saying it's a VC chain, saying it's dead. To me, it's kind of comical just because they said the same thing about Solana um, in the early days that it was a lot of copy projects uh, of Ethereum. Can you address why you guys were uniquely excited about the Sweet ecosystem and why you guys decided to build there? Yeah, so I'll kind of, I'll, I'll share a story of how we ended up on Sweet because the story did start earlier for us. This is, you know, when we first entered uh, the space, EVM and Solidity in general was a lot more accessible in terms of developer resources, in terms of other open source code bases to learn from. And... That's what we started with. We built a EVM based exchange and we took it live uh, on Arbitrum. This is, we were, we were doing all right. It was 10 to 20 million in I think daily volume, but what we really, we learned a lot, I'd say um, from that experience, there was gas costs were really high. So that was a big challenge on user acquisition. And we would consider things like subsidizing them. 
but then that would be pretty expensive on our own burn. And so, because I mean, there were days gas was going well beyond 10 cents and that was the average, which is when you combine that over many trades, that's pretty expensive. So there was that, there was scenarios like, um, I remember when the Arbitrum airdrop happened, network pretty much went down and all our trades were reverting. And there were other kind of times where blips like that would happen. And I think the more um, experienced teams knew to anticipate that a bit and had kind of these mechanisms that would queue up transactions and put them later and ameliorate that user experience a little bit. Um, for us, kind of as we were learning these things and thinking now towards building the next version of our exchange, the one of the things we started discussing is, okay, is EVM the right place to be? And from here, we started doing some research. I think we looked at L2s, especially kind of these custom L2 options that existed. Um, we looked at, and then second, we looked at these parallel execution um, blockchains. Once we started looking deeper there, I think with custom L2s, I think they're a viable option. They're super, very cheap in terms of gas. Um, from the user experience point of view, we learned that, or we at least saw this model where users will come uh, to the exchange as long as you can have a good user experience. But there are still pretty big kind of concerns around a security. I think at that time, one of the, I saw a lot of bridge hacks happening and the, if, I mean, all positions are collateralized by one asset on our exchange. And if that asset itself loses value, then effectively all positions have lost value. So it would be a catastrophic kind of event for us. Um, there's composability issues, you know, you don't really have, there's not much you can, I mean, somebody else would have to come and develop over there and that's not your uh, main focus. So, you know, uh, that's where L2s eventually is not something we considered. And then coming into words, looking at Solana, Sui, Aptos, et cetera, we started simple this okay, benchmarking, we know throughput matters, we know trades matter, um, speed latencies matter. And we, I think we had those metrics and I think Sui was good, Aptos was good, et cetera. And then from there, there was an element of people. We started talking to the actual teams and I think that's was definitely one of the big uh, conviction points around when we started chatting with the Mistin team. I think the answers I would ask, like they weren't, I wouldn't have non-answers. I wouldn't have um, like just some random developers. And I actually had Sam, the CTO, go in and have these long thread responses. Um, and we would kind of geek out, not necessarily geek out, I guess just learn more about things, but he was definitely geeking out and how passionate he was about what he was explaining. Um, and here we like learned many things. Like there was a ZK login, which has actually now come out and um, something we're taking live within the next week. Um, this very much aligned with our vision of abstracting away the challenges of Web3 from our users. Um, there's things, and then I think fast forwarding today, there's many more reasons now that I feel more bullish about it around like the things I've learned about the move language, the things that enables. But at that time, really how that's how that decision formed where we saw the base level things we wanted, low gas costs, high throughput. Um, we saw an alignment in their vision and ours and see, I think their team kind of stood out to us in what their engineering team stood out to us and what they were building. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. And I guess just to add to that, um, I remember seeing a podcast, a very early one with Evan and, and another one of their founders, I don't remember who, and he was just talking about building a blockchain with no trade-offs. And that is something that we were trying to do is like build an exchange for trading assets without trade-offs, no user experience trade-offs, no performance trade-offs. Um, and I think after that, I was like, hey, how authentic or true do we think this vision is? Um, and that's really when we started talking to the team, the engineering team specifically, we were just inspired like, oh shit, I actually think they can achieve this. I think they already have a great product 
and they you know they have the right vision to get to what we want. And it was really a function of hearing that vision on a podcast from the founder to just speaking to the engineering team and being confident that these guys will be able to achieve it. Yeah, I think as a founder, I mean, you have to paint that beautiful vision, an ambitious vision, because if it's not crazy enough, you won't convince enough people to join you on that vision. Uh, but you ultimately have to be rooted in reality to say, is this possible? And that dichotomy is often hard. But I love, I really love the Miston team. Uh, I think they're uh, Sam in particular. I've really enjoyed my conversations with him. And uh, to your point, AJ, I had a lot of long conversations just debating the technical merits of how blockchains work. What actually should that kind of look like from a user perspective and developer perspective? And I think at the end of the day, where I think all of us kind of on this podcast can really agree is we want to build applications not for kind of the few hundred thousand people today, which although they are important in the early adopters, we still want to build applications for later on the tens of millions and hundreds of million people that will ultimately come into the ecosystem and making sure that your underlying blockchain, kind of the technical stack that you're building on at least has some path towards uh, future scale is paramount. Um, so it's cool to hear kind of the the idea maze that you went through to get to this point. Yeah. And to that point, I think I didn't mention this earlier, the like I, I remember the issues we've experienced and since the day we've been live on Sui, I, I think obviously there's a long test of time to still pass, but no, we haven't, uh, our gas costs have stayed the same even when spikes happen in the in network transactions um, that we're processing or the general network is processing. We haven't had availability issues. And I think really this, this is rooted more in the fundamental design on how the Miston team approach the, the kind of infrastructure behind the blockchain. Yeah, fully agree. I'm bullish, bullish what they're building and excited to see uh, what is to come uh, within that ecosystem. And I think it's very cool just how early you guys really are in the grand scheme of things, not only the blockchain industry, but within the suite ecosystem as well. Maybe shifting the conversation though slightly towards more of the product side. Um, Abil, Abil, you mentioned um, particularly around curating that product experience. So the user experience needs to be a certain way for kind of the average retail trader. And that ultimately may not be the exact same experience from an institutional client that wants to do a hundred million dollars in perp trades. Can you kind of walk us through kind of your experience, just designing these two different, um, um, designing the product for two different customer sets? Yeah. I think um, me as a person, I'm obsessed with design and user experience, overly obsessed. And AJ would get pissed off at me sometimes saying like, why are you spending 12 hours a day with like the designer? You need to focus on other areas and this needs to be part of a process. But we're just so obsessed with getting the user interface, how user onboards onto the platform, like every detail is so, so right. And I think that's super important. We're just like unhealthily obsessed with that. And Right now, you know, if someone comes onto the platform, we usually get a lot of great feedback on how easy it is to use the platform. I think onboarding onto Sui needs to get a lot better, but that's something a bit separate and it's also being addressed. So the bridging experience isn't great, but once you're onto the product, it's very seamless. And in about two weeks from now, this is how the experience is gonna look like, and it's very close. 
you're going to be able to just come on there. You don't need to download any wallet or manage any private keys. You'll just connect your Google account and it's going to be natively secured by ZK login. So you just, the way you go on LinkedIn right now, you connect your Google account. It's also going to be integrated with Wormhole. So you can also support bridging with it. You can do all sorts of trading on the platform. Um, and that's really the user experience. And then on the back end, for those that the, don't know what ZK login is and maybe kind of tapping into SWE and the SWE ecosystem for the first time in layman terms, can you communicate what that enables? Yeah. yeah. I'll try to give the TLDR on it, which is at the moment, what is one big kind of friction point for users? It's not just downloading a wallet, but also this concept of securing your seed phrase and your private keys and a lot of like, I, I guess like anxiety that can form around, is it secure enough? Is hot wallet good enough? Do I need a ledger securing these things? That's one of the, that's effectively what ZK login aims to solve, which is tying your Google account to a web three account that you can use to sign transactions. So it's abstracting away, dealing with private keys, how it does it in practice that gets pretty cryptographically intense um, on ZK proofs, but like I would say the TLDR is that it's a one-way mapping between your Google account and the GWT token, which is the cryptographic proof it um, provides, adding a bit of more metadata to it and using ZK proofs and storing that in your cache. So there's a one-way mapping from that account to this, uh, this key phrase that's formed and stored locally in your browser that's behind the scenes signing everything, but you know, it's not, it doesn't link back to your account explicitly. Uh, it's the so high level overview, I'd say. No, I think it's great. And maybe even to go one level higher, just allowing people to kind of onboard with the traditional private key, uh, but like through a Google or Facebook type yeah. interaction that they already know. Yeah. And that final user experience is you come, just Google auth, boom, you have an account, you're trading. So, you know, yeah. for that, I'm for the everyday for user, they don't even realize what's happening. Yeah. I, I do think, I mean, I'm very curious to see, I, I do think a lot of the magic sauce within blockchains in the industry is that private key ownership. I mean, to your point earlier, being able to own those digital assets, have sovereignty over them is important, but there's also a lot of kind of potential headaches that come with that. Um, and so just private key management, private key education, the onboarding, it is uh, cumbersome, but this ZK login, I think is very interesting idea as a path forward to kind of making that onboarding experience a little bit more frictionless. And I guess just to add on top of it, ZK login today is embedded within the Sui wallet. What we're doing in about two weeks from now is taking that to the next level which is, and I'll let AJ talk a little bit more about it, is abstracting the wallet itself away. And, you know, having that in the back end of Bluefin's front end. But AJ, you can talk a little bit more about how we're taking that to the next level. Yeah, I, I think the simplest way is that experience as you as a brand new user. You could, I mean, eventual goal is you could be unfamiliar with Web3 entirely and land on this exchange and just be able to use your Google login to start trading. The friction point you're going to run into is, oh, how do I actually acquire funds now? And that's still that's still where a Web2 user is probably the first person that's going to start using this. Um, and they have assets lying around um, that they can bridge into this immediately. And our goal is, okay, for now, let's start with making it as simple as possible, kind of click, 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 and don't need to kind of navigate away from us. Eventually, you know, aligning with Sui's vision is, can we have Google Pay to do that immediately? So it's Google sign in, Google Pay. I don't know what that's going to take regulatory wise and others. That's a bit of a longer term, but 
you know, that's what the eventual goal is to get to. Makes sense. And I apologies, I cut you off during kind of your explanation on the user uh, onboarding versus kind of more retail versus institutional flows. Yeah, I think, um, so yeah, as we mentioned, just making it super easy. And the goal is it's going to be easy, you know, within this month and then have the full, you know, stack integrated, including on ramps by the end of the year. And then I think the market maker user experience, AJ can go a little bit more into what that looks like because it's a little bit more technical heavy and, and creating that user experience that they need and that they're familiar with. Yeah, from from the partners that we've been working with now for some time, what I've observed is there's there's a a latency requirement that they want in how if you if you want them to quote super tight. Um, with to the to the true price there they want the ability to place and cancel orders very fast and for that that's where the design of the kind of order book comes into play and maybe i'll elaborate on that a bit now where the way the protocol is designed at the moment is everything is it's designed to be non-custodial from the start so all balances are unchained the margining engine and the execution of trades are all unchained and the way that orders are constructed is you will specify a bunch of fields, but predominantly like a long sell, the asset, the quantity, and the price. Let's, let's assume these assets, these, these fields. And then you, you sign these using your private key and you produce, produce a signature. Now, this signature is what's submitted to our matching engine, which at the moment is off-chain. So what the matching engine is responsible for is simply just matching, taking this order that you've signed off on and finding somebody else that also wants to trade at that price and something that's on-chain. So kind of here is what you see where the the user has no trust on us on what price it executes at, whether, um, yeah, how like you know how much quantity it's going to fill, how much balance is going to get used, et cetera. These things are all well-known. It's that area around submitting it on-chain that we're responsible for. And why are we doing that? It's 99% of orders that get submitted they never get broadcasted. They never go unchained because 99% of the orders are just market makers constantly moving their quotes. They're placing orders um, and the, the price moves by two takes, three takes. They'll cancel them all, place new orders. And the actual throughput of trades is an order magnitude less. So if we're seeing thousands of orders being placed per second, we're seeing a few tens of trades happening per second. So that's, that, I think... That's a great point. I, I don't think people are kind of the layman people that haven't like dug into this enough really understand market making kind of <laughs> setting the bids the ass uh the takers the makers it is complex uh they're setting a lot of kind of uh, trades so to speak on chain just to make the market more liquid and more fluid and a lot yeah. of that isn't necessary just trade volume it's just transactions on the chain and it is a very critical part to kind of make this flywheel work, but it's also very challenging in kind of these decentralized systems, to your point, AJ, because of the, some of the limitations. Yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. And I, I mean, I, I think another version of this has come to be true of oracles as well, right? Where you've seen this new model emerging where you're not constantly just publishing everything on chain, rather only the prices that are needed. I'd like to think that the order book is similar in that if 99% of these orders are never going to be executed on, uh, you know, they don't necessarily need to go on chain. And at the moment, frankly, like the speeds are not there for these orders, for these market makers to 
coped in and that that goes ties back right to what Rabil was saying because they're they're not independent customers the institutional user wants the retail flow to come um the retail flow the retail user needs good liquidity and depth if they're going to come right and so do you want to provide both and i think the last thing i'll add is we did always think about a scenario okay what happens when if the order book goes down if this matching engine is you know like a central component and that's where we did in the end, provision the protocol to work without the order book if needed, or if somebody wants to take a different route. Because if you remember, all you're doing is signing orders and specifying the price and quantity. So you can, through any really means, broadcast it or find somebody else and submit these trades yourself on chain. Anybody can submit them on chain as long because all these fields are guaranteed to be only executed within um, what you've specified. Yeah, and I guess to summarize that right now, that's the architecture we have, you know, built on the non-custodial premise, um, but also just really, really focusing on user experience in both ends, which is why our order book majority of the time is one tick wide. That is incredible liquidity that's allowing us to process the scale we are right now. Um, but that being said, you know, I think the ultimate win is if you can also fully decentralize that stack. It's something that we want to do that we're researching and figuring out. It's not our top priority, but something we hopefully get it get to you know have something out there by end of year um but right now it's just focus on user experience and in the backdrop figure out solutions that will allow for a similar user experience in both ends yeah i i mean i, I recently just did a podcast with one of the or the cto of pith and aj we were talking about kind of the pull model versus the push model and the pull model obviously being more scalable because you're not publishing everything all the time. And mm -hmm. to your point on kind of putting all those quotes on chain, do you think from a technical perspective, at least in today's world, um, with throughput not being where we ultimately want it to be, do you think you can ultimately decentralize the whole stack or do you think eventually it will be a blend of kind of this off-chain model and on-chain? Yeah, I think it's in practice going to keep just going through more iterations. I, I think I'd like to believe that eventually it will reach there. I, I think even as we've been doing R&D, well, we, I think what we'll take a step closer to it. So we're exploring the idea of, so he has this concept of owned objects and these owned objects get go on chain much faster because of how the consensus happens. It's right now 400 milliseconds intended to get even faster. And we're looking through ideas of, can you, batch a bunch of these into one own object and then have that one owner of that object just uh, send it on chain and this way and then you're not kind of broadcasting to everyone i think likely it's going to fall among somewhere around here as the first step where whether you take this approach that we're rnding or others are looking at validators etc they're all kind of following some falling somewhere in that middle where it's a step further um but Right now, with the tech that currently exists and what we're seeing with market makers on this, we're talking like tens of milliseconds. That's how fast they're updating um, their quotes. And at that scale, it's not, I think on-chain books will exist just fine. It's just that market makers are not going to code as tight. So what they'll do is they'll just go a bit wider. It gives them, if the, even if the price moves a bit, is a bigger buffer to cancel their order. And that's working is almost like a correlation between how fast can I place and cancel orders and how tight I'll get. So that'll be the trade-off. And I think eventually we'll start getting closer and closer um, towards, you know, lower, lower spreads on chain. I am very curious. You mentioned um, 
ultimately kind of the SWE fast path. I, I think a lot of my listeners are kind of familiar with high throughput blockchains in general, but not may not fully appreciate all the nuances that you really spoke to. And I think when I think of SWE, the fast path consensus that allows for that extremely fast latency um, or extremely low latency and fast finality, as you mentioned, 400 milliseconds is extremely impressive. Can you maybe just on a high level speak to that and then how you guys, I mean, I think you did briefly touch upon it, but go into how you plan to exploit that even further. Yeah, so I think with, what's important to understand with Sweet is they offer, it's a, so, okay, it's an object data model. That's like the first thing to understand that everything is represented as an object. And this unlocks many things. There's like native object ownership, there's dynamic fields and how these objects are passed on. I'll, I'll break these down a bit later. But with objects, you, there's a distinction between do you own this object? Does another object own it? Or is this a shared object? And if it becomes a shared object, which is the default case, then now you need consensus with everyone um, on the state over here. And this ends up taking a bit longer. I think on Sui, we're seeing somewhere around two seconds at the moment for consensus on that. Now, if you're instead, you if it's an owned object, it's, I, I don't want to, you know, butcher the details because I'm definitely not the consensus and cryptography expert, but the TLDR is on how they approach consensus here. It allows them to have like a two-third majority and reach consensus much faster on the state of this own object. And this ends up going through in 400 milliseconds. How we intend to take, uh, kind of leverage this is we're reapproaching our on-chain protocol and seeing, okay, we know that if we have an owned object that it's not going to require this, um, full blown consensus. And so with every single trade, if we can ensure that the two users are in a unique market and are unique parties. And no, that same user is not participating in another trade at the same time. We can execute these in parallel. And so the, then, then the kind of key becomes, okay, market makers are this one kind of user that's almost in many of these. So if you have enough market makers, you have to kind of start partitioning by market makers and how you approach um, these executions. But that's the fundamental driver between how we're re-architecting, which is unique traders are on unique markets can start happening at the same time. And this, what this does is this increase our TPS. So at the moment there, there's two things often there's like latency, okay, how fast is it? Can you execute one trade? But then the second is how fast can you concurrently execute trades? So even if it's only, you know, 400 milliseconds, if you can do a hundred trades, um, at the same time, then your TPS goes much further, uh, goes up by a lot more. So that's kind of the summary of what we're approaching there. I know we're nerding out a little bit and I'll bring it back to the product side, but I, I truly think you are at the forefront of something very interesting and I uh, appreciate you kind of going into a little bit more depth there because you are going to, this will enable some new types of applications. And I don't think very many builders have gone as far into the weeds as the team there. And to see how you're experimenting, thinking about it, kind of the lower latency, the faster finality, um, it should unlock some u unique use cases, which I think not only do engineers just kind of starting to uh, play around with, and I think Bluefin is at the forefront there, 
But VCs and kind of the investor community are so far behind, they haven't really caught on to what you guys can actually do in these high throughput ecosystems that are uniquely tailored um, to that fast finality. So super excited there. Maybe bringing it back to the product side, though, you, you have all these unique innovations. You've guys been grinding throughout the bear market. Uh, the last three months, things have been picking up. How do you really see the next 12 months ultimately playing out from say, trying to compete with these more larger centralized entities, a Coinbase or a Binance of the world? I think that's our top priority right now. Um, and it ties both the user experience, which has performance as a bucket within it. Most Ethereum L2s, for example, their TPS is typically around 100, right? That's nowhere near. Even less. Uh, even from less, what right? I've seen, uh, it's, it's kind of funny because the high throughput blockchains typically are doing more transactions per second than all L2s combined, which I just kind of find comical, but. Exactly. So there's no way you can build something that competes with the centralized exchange over there, at least in our opinion. Um, it just cannot process that level of scale. And we haven't really seen that come into DeFi yet. So I think first and foremost, it needs to be somewhere that can process that, process that scale. And maybe majority of the time it's fine, but the time that it matters is like the 3% tail end of the times where markets are super volatile and there's a lot of transactions. Then the first part is like being on a high performance blockchain. Um, there's many high performance blockchains, but I think finality is also a core component because that's what impacts user experience. So you can have 100,000 TPS, but if it takes five seconds for it to finalize, it's not good. Like that's way too slow from a user's point of view. So as AJ was mentioning with owned objects, like it needs to be sub second, like you, click a trade and it goes through. I think that's the first part. The second part is being the easiest to use. And that means that, you know, you don't need to download a new wallet. You don't need to, you know, secure your private key. You don't have difficulties bridging funds over. And that's really the second focus for us, this, um, the next two quarters, particularly one, it's, you know, abstracting away all of the wallet components. And then two, working with this Wii Foundation on making it super easy for users to deposit assets, right? Whether it's, you know, something like Axelar or Layer Zero to for one-click deposits from any other chain to, you know, direct deposits from centralized exchanges and then three on-ramps directly onto the Sweet blockchain. So I think once we can get, you know, both of these components um, done, hopefully by next quarter, that's really when you can have a user experience that competes with a Binance, a Coinbase. And I think that's when we can start taking over that addressable market. And what products offerings today do you have? I know you kind of the specialty, specialization is perps, but uh, doing spot, et cetera. Can you kind of just like dive into what products offerings today, what tokens have you seen being trading and when doing these hundreds, millions of volumes? Yeah, for sure. Um, right now we focus on a type of future that's called perps. Um, these are the most popular assets right now in Web3. And so that's a core focus of, of Bluefin right now. It's a type of derivative, um, fairly straightforward to expand to futures or if we wanted to go into options to after this. But right now we're focusing on getting the core product really, really right. We think there's a great you know, use case over here. We're seeing flow already. And so we currently only have four markets on the platform. BTC and ETH see most of the volume today. And where we're going with this is we want to get the next version of our protocol out. AJ will go a little bit deeper into that, you know, but 
that version will equip us to start competing with centralized exchanges. It also requires us to redeploy our contracts and have a migration towards it. That's the point when we'll aggressively look to add a lot more markets. Our goal is at least 100 more markets by the end of the year. And then I think we'll, we do want to add spot markets. We do want to add options. But I think right now it's focus is so important. I think like think of leadership as like a line with people, you know, following you. And the more you go, like the more you wind, the slower you move. And so it's so important to just like focus, get the core thing right. And then like look to expand after that. So right now focusing purely on futures, perps specifically, we want to get it really, really right by next quarter. And, you know, once we think we're at a good, good spot with that, then like to expand. Yeah. And uh, I always loved, I love that analogy. The one that Elon used at Tesla was everybody is a vector and uh, all those vectors need to be aligned in the same direction and ultimately to as much as possible, a high degree uh, of movement in the same direction. Because to your point, uh, it, it does take a long time to make one excellent product, let alone five or six um kind of within the product offering but i'd love to also tap into into uh how you're going to expand it from the technical perspective as well aj yeah this is actually kind of what we were getting into earlier with the own objects of partitioning that's almost that's exactly what we're working on at the moment and the idea is that if we want to tap into scale a we know some of our tech debt, I think all systems have some debt. Like it's an opportunity to re-architect for that for our market makers in these speeds and latencies we provide them, but down to the core infrastructure that say we did see a magnitude increase in volumes. Can we still bring these all on chain? Or like benchmarks say, yeah, and now it's about just building, redesigning the architecture to enable that. And I think besides this, we're also now a lot more familiar with Move as a programming language. I think it's awesome. And oh, it enables a lot more than Solidity did initially. And so I think there's many things that as a bit more experienced developers in that space, we're also um, bringing into the tech. And really it's now for us building a product that we think you know for the next one to two years will be um, definitely can handle the scale that we anticipate. And I think once we cross that hurdle, there's definitely still the on-chain order book to f- f- figure out. Still yep. very much hard to have answers there yet. <laughs> In terms of, I mean, the, the trading volumes with the few pairs is very impressive. Do you have any metrics on like active wallets that have been trading, like where the volumes kind of are coming from based off like IP addresses, like what part of the world? I'm curious as what metrics you have that you can share. Yeah. Um, well, the platform is accessible for most countries except for, for the U.S. And so far we're seeing about 5,000 weekly active users. I think... Um, it's a similar scale to a lot of derivative DEXs and, and something we're working to scale even further. Interestingly, a lot of our users right now are coming from Korea and broader Asia in general. So that's where we're seeing a lot of traction coming onto the platform today from. Yeah, interesting. I recently, well, not recently, last, say, six months or so, went my first time to South Korea and South Korea Blockchain Week and uh it is interesting how active that community or part of the world mm-hmm. is really becoming uh, and their openness to kind of be chain agnostic. It's just like, to your point, like, does it solve the product uh, need that they're looking to fill? And I think that's what ultimately gets me excited about 
kind of where we're going in the future of the industry to make sure that we're actually building things people want. Uh, and I'm very excited that we can now kind of get to the starting line and do that to some degree uh, with a level of scale. Mm -hmm. For sure. And, you know, like a lot of people might think Bluefin is a sweet play. I think we're definitely leveraging a lot of sweet tech, but ultimately people don't even need to know it's on sweet. We think the tech is good enough to abstract all of that away. And we'll definitely benefit from ecosystem tailwinds, from compositability, from other builders there. But really, ultimately, for the user, they don't even need to know that it's on suite. Yep. Agreed. Exciting times ahead. Maybe last kind of closing remarks. Uh, we've touched upon a lot kind of your guys' individual journey into Web3, kind of starting in the EVM land, pivoting uh, with some of the troublesomes of just lack of scale within those ecosystems going into cockroach mode, surviving the depths of the bear market, and now really coming out on the other side from um, nothing else than just like sheer will uh, by grinding throughout the bear market. And now trading volumes are picking back up. Is there, I guess, just any general advice to like founders, um, either investors that are looking into like the sweet ecosystem or other projects alike, uh, as like final parting words. I think generally the tech and the product are amazing are incredible. Um, I think the team is extremely supportive on, you know, some of the primitives you might want. For example, we're launching um, a governance module very soon and want to decentralize that component of our stack. And, you know, it doesn't already exist, but we're working directly with the team. So I think it's an ecosystem that's very technically and product-led first, and that's what we love. I think that that should be the first priority, and it's super easy to work with their engineering team to even build new things that you want. Um, so I'm just going to speak to the people and, and the product and the tech, and maybe AJ can talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, I think the other... I would... I'm, I'm curious actually after this call to go do this research, but I'm feeling that move as a programming language is also closer to anybody that's kind of entering the web three world for the first time in the, it's, it's a bit more familiar to the modern languages that we use in the web two world. And I think that just sets up for a lot easier onboarding accessibility, uh, into, into the space. So I think that's one, um, definite kind of advantage that exists within within that space now it is over time so it's going to take a bit more time for a lot of other developer um products to get added to it right i think there's things like tenderly and others on evm because it has the benefit of time but i think i definitely see um this getting some adoption and besides this i think the if you're building a company and like i think there's a lot of general advice that we've learned over time but i think the biggest takeaway for me frankly over the last few years is build with people you enjoy working with. Um, I think that's what in the end will motivate you to come into work in the morning to like push to hard times because that is what you get to, that's what you get to hold on to when it gets tough. Um, and I think that'll be the biggest game changer. Through the thick and thin, uh, the people that are by your side and solving the problems with you are very important. So sage advice. Um, excellent. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, my first podcast, uh, with a sweet ecosystem, uh, builder, you guys have slogged it out throughout the bear market. Uh, and now it's amazing to see coming out on the other side, really the fruits of your labor. Um, 
I'm personally bullish on the sweet ecosystem. I'm bullish Bluefin and what you guys are building. And I wish you guys the most success. Thank you, Logan. Thanks, Logan. It was, it was a pleasure getting to know you and this call. Likewise. Thanks, guys.